good to be with you. Um, would you guys grab your Bibles and go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10? 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And as he was saying this, before we look at the scripture, they're still doing the offering. Tomorrow night, um, I will be in the chapel at 7 o'clock, and we are covering a specific study on um, destiny. How do you discover who God has made you to be? It's, and we're actually in the season where, as a group, we're beginning to ask ourselves very specific questions like, what is the motivation that God has given you? Do you recognize how that works in your life? If you see that, how has God been speaking to that? And what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, God has uniquely made every one of you, so let's discover the values, the heartbeat, and where he's called you to minister in his kingdom. So if you're interested in that, please come. We have two parts. We do teaching so that you can be equipped, and then we have time where we minister to each other, pray with each other, and believe with each other for our future. So if you'd like to be a part of that, please join us uh, tomorrow night at 7 o'clock in the chapel. All right, we are going to cover spiritual warfare. You've turned to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to look at uh, verse 3 through 5 to start with, but before we look specifically at the scripture, I want to kind of just dive into spiritual warfare just for a moment and give an overview before we look specifically at the topic that we're going to cover this evening. So when you look at spiritual warfare, most people hear that word and they think of, okay, so that means I either have to fight Satan or demons and it's a negative thing. Well, the Bible actually doesn't present it as something negative. In fact, I hopefully tonight, if you've only looked at it that way, I don't want to be in that icky deliverance dealing with demon stuff, hopefully this will set you free at a different level to where you actually enjoy doing it, because that's how the Bible actually presents it. There's a joy in doing this, and hopefully we can get you to that place. But when we look at spiritual warfare, first let's just talk about the three aspects that the Scripture reveals to us about spiritual warfare. The first one comes to us out of Ephesians chapter 6, and what that is, is it's literally Paul is in the book of Ephesians, giving us an overview of the church is facing this reality, that Satan has principalities, powers, and darkness. And then he talks about spiritual weaknesses and the, the natural realm. So it's, it's actually saying that we deal with Satan and wickedness in the heavenly realm, and we deal with it in the natural realm. And I would actually call that the, the overview or what we call the development of the theology of what we're dealing with. But that's not the only aspect of spiritual warfare. The next aspect that we actually have is it talks about how spiritual warfare affects you internally and how the Bible actually expects you to look at it, learn how uh, God has given you certain tools to actually deal with it that are actually uh, things that you're probably already participating in but never realized that it was dealing with evil and spiritual warfare. And then there's the third one, where it talks about what we would call a positive aspect of spiritual warfare, which is, I don't just sit back and absorb evil or learn to stand against it. I actually learn to go, are you guys ready? This is kind of fun. I learn to actually go and conquer it, because Jesus has called me into a life of being an overcomer. So, are you guys like I am? I'm just trying to stay away from evil. Jesus is actually saying, no, there's actually this life in me where you actually find joy in overcoming evil and seeing people set free and to come into wholeness. And there should be that 
all three of those aspects where we understand it properly, we understand what it does to us inside our own soul, and then we learn how to overcome it and position ourselves as someone that's not just resisting it, but is taking ground, revealing the redemptive work of Jesus, and seeing people's lives change. That's how the Bible kind of does this overarching view of spiritual warfare. Now, what I'm going to focus on for our benefit this evening is I'm going to go to this second aspect of spiritual warfare, and I'm going to talk to you how the Scripture talks about what's going on inside your soul when you're dealing with these things. We live in a fallen world, but not just being in a fallen world, we actually have Satan and the dominion of darkness, demons, doing things, causing effects. It's not just living in a fallen world, it's actually what they're doing also, and it has an effect on your soul, and the Bible actually not only wants you to recognize it, but it wants to give you, through Christ, the reality that you're an overcomer. Not how to overcome, but that you already are an overcomer. And that's very important for us to understand. So look with me now at 2 Corinthians. It tells us this. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. And then it begins to describe them. It says that, um, but through... God, we pull down strongholds. Now, what we want to do is we want to begin to ask a question. The Bible is saying, all right, here you are in a fallen world. How does the Bible want you to begin to look at what's going on in your soul in response to a fallen world when people do wicked things or you just observe wickedness? Um, I'll just give you an example before we dive right into the teaching. How many of you watch the news? You are observing, because the news focuses on evil, you observe evil consistently when you watch the news. It's always something's being flooded, someone shot somebody, something happened that was really bad, and it gives this overarching view that basically we're being overcome by evil, because that's what they focus on. Well, the Bible is now asking a question, what's the origin of that thing that you're observing? What is it actually doing to you when you observe that? And the Bible's actually saying that because Christ now lives inside of you, there's a different reality of life that you're experiencing so that when you're observing that, that shouldn't take away faith, hope, or love. It should actually energize something inside of you in response to it. And because we don't know how to respond to it, most of us just either throw our hands up, we lose hope, or we think, where's God in the middle of this? And yet... Paul is going to teach us, and we're going to now look at the Scripture, where it's not only saying you can not only observe it, but you can actually become the instrument that changes that, which is good news. So here the Scripture talks about strongholds. So what I want to do is I want to take how the Scripture uses that word and describe what strongholds are from our perspective, because this is very important. Whether you realize it or not, I'm going to explain the two aspects of strongholds, Each one of us, at some level, is working through some level of a stronghold, either in ourselves, by something that's happened by the way we've been raised, or wrong teaching, bad theology, or we're dealing with family members that have strongholds, or the community that we live in. So it's a very important thing. Everyone you know is in some level working through this idea of what's going on in their soul, in their mind, and how they relate to evil, and it's called spiritual warfare. 
So Paul uses the word strongholds, and here are some of the ways that it could be translated. It could be um, imagination. So we find out that evil creates a certain type of imagination. You think or you imagine in a way when you observe evil. Another thing that it does is it um, creates reasoning. Now remember, what I'm focusing our attention on is what's going on internally. The scripture is now going to come to this idea of your thought life and thoughts that are coming into your mind. And it's now going to say that really the bridge to dealing with evil is the thoughts that you have or the thoughts that you're letting come into your mind and learning to actually deal with them properly so that if you're dealing with spiritual warfare in the heavenlies, you know how to process it. If you're dealing with it in your own soul, you know how to process it. If you're trying to deal with it with someone else and see them come into a breakthrough, you know how to process it because it's what's going on in the mind. And so the Bible is saying when you and I observe evil, we have imagination that's tied to evil. Do you guys remember growing up and watching scary movies that you weren't supposed to watch? And then immediately your imagination came into that, and then you started thinking bad things were going to happen to you for a season because your imagination caught into the evil, and then you emphasized it and relived it. It's also saying when you observe evil, how does your mind work through it? Well, it reasons about it. So if we don't reason properly as the scripture talks about it, when I observe evil, I begin to think that because I observe evil, evil must be in control of everything, and so I play this game of a protection to try to keep away from it. And so we reason when we observe evil. The next thing that the scripture says, or the word for stronghold is used, is it talks about speculations, or arguments, or knowledge, or thoughts that are raised up, and are you guys ready? Raised up against the knowledge of the Lord. So, the Bible is going to say to you, here's what's going on in your mind. You have thoughts, reasoning, knowledge, and things that you've grown up in, and if any of them raise themselves above what Christ is and what he's able to do for you, that's a wrong thought that you've been entertaining. Because the Bible is now trying to say, well, really, what has Jesus actually done for you on the cross, and how does it deal with observing evil that we live in? Now, here's a track that you might not have ever considered. When I first started studying spiritual warfare, what we did is we went through this track of studying the theology of it then what Satan and his kingdom was doing, then how deliverance works, and then we worked on the armor of God. And all of it was about protecting and dealing with evil and trying to stay away from it, and how do I stay pure? But no one gave me, and hopefully this is a breakthrough for you, no one gave me the foundation of the kingdom of God so that I could stand in a day of evil. And that's what we're going to look at first before we go through the rest of this. Very importantly... There is a concept, when, you, when I was luckily here with you guys and I was teaching through the Gospel of John, the Lord kept bringing me back to the concept of peace. If you've not heard me talk about that before, that's the Greek word, eron, which means it comes from the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom is, ready, not just peace, it means wholeness and prosperity in every area of your life that satisfies you so deeply, you're at peace. 
That's what Jesus has given us since we've come to him. Now, that means that when I come into Christ, before I worry about evil, I have to make sure my heart is in right alignment and functioning properly so that I recognize evil when it's coming and the effect it has on me. What is it that God has given you and I that is the foundation to stand against evil? The joy of the Lord. So if I am not understanding how to live in joy, function in joy, and draw strength from joy, I will struggle dealing with evil. You guys ready? Most people believe, well, you know, here Jesus has saved me, and here's evil, and how I deal with it is I try to block it or stay away from it, but the Bible doesn't present it that way. The Bible actually presents the idea that your strength is the joy of the Lord, and so that should be what is filling you, you are living out of, and that's what you deal with when you're dealing with evil. Isn't that amazing? Because most people are always saying, well, I guess I have to learn a strategy on how to think, I have to learn a strategy on how to live, and the Bible's saying, no, it's the joy of the Lord that is your strength that helps you stand in a day of evil. Would you guys grab your Bibles now, and let's look at another scripture reference. Turn with me to Psalm 16, verse 11. Now, you're going to, this again, this should just grab your attention because the Bible is saying, if you're going to deal with what's going on in your mind, the Bible wants you to connect. Hey, what's going on in your mind, the reason why that's coming is the enemy is after something that you possess and he's trying to take it from you. This isn't someplace Jesus is trying to take you. He's already saying you're there, the enemy recognizes it, and so he comes against this concept. Now, this is very important. It tells us this in Psalm 16, verse 11. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there is pleasure forevermore. Now, before I worry about what the enemy is trying to bring against me, he knows that my strength is the joy of the Lord. When I learn to let God minister to me. Now let's define the word joy before we move on with this. Joy, okay, so here God is a God of love. When God turns and shows kindness to us, or God turns and shows mercy, or when God turns to you and I and he does something to show us that he cares for us, that's, uh, that kindness or that expression produces produces something inside of me. It's called joy. It's a fruit. Now, the Bible is saying this isn't a dormant fruit. This is what you should be living out of to live and go through life. So now think about that. The best form of protection that I can have in spiritual warfare isn't trying to uh, worry about every thought that comes. It's actually living in a dynamic of God's joy constantly engaging me and me learning to live out of that so that when something comes against my joy, I know it's not from the Lord. And so I let the joy of the Lord become the foundation before I engage in spiritual warfare. And by the way, the Bible would also use language like this. If you have that, you should have peace guarding your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. 
See, the Bible is pretty intentional about this. When you come into eternal life, the Scripture uses the idea that eternal life is a different type of existence of living. What is that existence? The existence is, is now God is actually interacting with me. Where I was weak before, He gives me His very presence, His very strength, His very joy, His very uh, love. And what happens is, is it lifts me above the restriction and the pull of evil in my world. It actually is internally the ability to overcome. And so the Bible is saying, now that's what you need to maintain, that level of joy. And when things come against it, recognize those things from where they're from. They are not from the Lord. That is not what God has called you to, and that is not your inheritance. And the Bible is saying, now, you guys are ready for heaven, Well, this is what's going to be going on in heaven for eternity. So that reality is to be living in you now. You have to learn how to live in that reality. But someone is coming. He's trying to steal, kill, and destroy something. Now, are you guys like me? Before we go into the two thoughts that you need to pay attention to, are you guys like me? I grew up in a broken family, and we either lived in fear or we took on anxiety Or we worried about things all the time. We never had peace because we thought peace was an absence of being responsible. And so we believe that you didn't worry, you weren't being responsible. If you didn't have fear about the future, you weren't being honest about what was going on. We used the evil in the world to define our existence and then we lived in the emotions of that all the time. And so when I came to the Lord, the most surprising thing that happened to me was peace filled my heart for the first time. And if you guys are like I am, I thought, oh, that's just one time, and now I have to go back into the cycle of enduring. Now, are you guys into suffering? Someone said no. Thank you. Uh, You know, I've taught on suffering. I love suffering. I'm in it as much as everybody else is, but I want to suffer properly. Suffering is not just about enduring evil, it's overcoming it. And I believe this is what God has given us to overcome it. So let's talk about the two strongholds now. Remember the Bible is saying, now look, your your soul should already be filled with peace and joy. Now what thoughts come that you need to recognize that are not your own that's trying to steal, kill, and destroy that in your life? By the way, I'll develop that here in a moment. The two thoughts are this. Here's how the enemy comes to you and I, and he begins this process. The first one is this. The first type of stronghold that are in people's minds, even in believers' minds, is this term called a prejudice. Now, most of the time the word prejudice we use just in how people relate to each other or race relations, but prejudice means more than that. It means um, the idea basically could be this. Don't tell me the facts of something I've already made up my mind about something. So it's, in a sense, it's, it's an unwillingness to be teachable. That's what prejudice is. That's what the enemy uses to actually build strongholds to steal joy in your life. You guys ever gone through a season where just one bad thing keeps happening after another? And it starts creating a prejudice in your heart that God will not intervene or that he is not good enough to deliver me from that. Any of you ever get caught in that? 
Well, see, I believe the, the way the enemy comes to you and I is he tries to reinforce evil things to tell you that God is not good. And what he does is he tries to get you to sign off on it. You're right. Now, you guys realize when evil people do evil things, that's not fun, but that's people doing evil things, not God doing evil things. And it's very important to understand that in the Bible, this is the whole idea of redemption. The Bible talks about the idea that the one thing that God can do is break any yoke that you and I are dealing with. Any form of evil that we've had to endure, God can overcome that, and we should be looking for that deliverance all through our lives. Because that's God's nature to you and I. He plans on doing this because of his nature. So the Bible says the first stronghold that the enemy is coming to steal, kill, and destroy your joy is a prejudice that God will not intervene or that people will not change. And, and let's dive really into this. How many of you have been praying for someone for so long and you've made a decision? What's the point of praying anymore? Nothing's going to change. That's the enemy creating a stronghold. That's not God's view of that. In fact, every time I kind of remind the Lord of how much he's not doing something, he always reminds me of how much he is doing something. And so sometimes when we don't see the hand of the Lord in this situation, we, we let that prejudice come back into our hearts, and the enemy uses it to build a place so that we will die to joy, will die to hope, and we won't allow faith to stir in our souls anymore. Because, you guys ready? We've just had enough. Now, by the way, when I am not letting joy fill me and satisfy me, and I learn to live out of that, something has got to fill me. And so if I let prejudice or I, I build a stronghold, something is filling my heart. And if it's my own emotions or thoughts that the enemy creates, which I'm going to show, it, it just becomes a cesspool where I can't ever get out of it. Let's look at the second concept or the second stronghold. It's called a preconception. And this is sort of like prejudice, but it actually means that you have, uh, you have an opinion before you know something in a situation. Uh, I don't know how many times the Lord caught me on this. I used to pray for the sick and tell the Lord, I know you're not going to heal him before I prayed for him. Uh, is that amazing? So I had the hardest struggle praying for people because I'd, have, I'd see in Scripture, I'm supposed to pray for the sick. And before I'd do it, this warfare would go on in my head. I bet you anything, I'm gonna, I'd say this in my head or the enemy would be saying it. I know when I put my hand on them, nothing's going to happen because it never happens. Okay, that, that is the idea of it. You've already determined what God's going to do, what you're going to do, what the situation is going to be, and it creates patterns. And the Bible is saying, now look, the way that God is, every situation is a demonstration of grace, so you don't know what he's going to do, so she, your mind has to change about this. You have to learn to start blocking that and say, no, this is an adventure. I'm looking for a breakthrough, and I'm looking for joy to overtake this. Let's keep moving on. Would you guys turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4? Now, this is actually one of my favorite scriptures, and let me, let me kind of just kind of work through this with you. This scripture is going to begin to address what the enemy does to keep people from coming to Christ. Have you guys ever tried to figure that out? See, culturally as Christians, we believe, well, the reason people don't come to the Lord is because uh, they, don't have the, they haven't had the gospel presented to them or they don't have the right information. And so we think it's an intellectual argument. 
Paul here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is saying, no, the reason that people don't come to Christ is not they can't understand. It's because a spiritual blindness is going on in their hearts. So let's look at the passage. It tells us this. So the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So he's telling you that what the enemy does is he's blinded the minds. Now, how does he do that? How does the enemy create blinders? So, now, this is important. Even though this is talking about unbelievers, I just want to take a moment and talk to you about your walk with the Lord. Any place you grow in Jesus Christ is because his light has touched your soul. You've seen something in him that you've not seen before, and it's called revelation. And once revelation is opened up to you, you can flourish in it. So the Bible is saying, okay, now, God wants to reveal Christ to you. What's keeping you from seeing it? So have you guys ever tried to work? How do I get breakthrough? Well, the Bible is actually telling you how it works with unbelievers. He's saying, well, pay attention to this because this is how it works for you to come into things also. So the enemy creates blindness. How does he do it? That word blindness in the original language is fascinating. It means a smokescreen. Now, now you're probably going, well, that still doesn't explain it. How does the enemy create a smokescreen? Well, the Greek word for smoke, ready, is the word for pride. So how does the enemy create people not to see the Son of God for who he is? He creates pride in their heart. It creates a smoke screen so that when God is trying to speak to them, they can't hear because they've decided God isn't real, Jesus isn't the Son of God, I'm not going to accept it. And you guys ready? The enemy tries to come to you and he either uses the flesh or evil to get you to be full of yourself where you've already made decisions, you've hardened your heart, and so when Christ is drawing near to you, you cannot receive it, not because he's not trying to minister to you, but you've created hardness and blinders so you can't see. So now, how does God break that free? I, I think we need to have a solution to that problem. How does God break? How do I break free? How do my family and my friends break free? Well, there's two ways the scripture actually talks about it. One says you actually can speak to it if you're praying for people who do not know the Lord. Another one for you and I, you guys ready? Anywhere I want to go to see more of Christ in me, I create, this is spiritual warfare, I create worship, proclamation, and thankfulness inside of me. When it does, it releases the river of faith, hope, and love, and joy. And now that's the river that the Lord reveals the light of his glory to us. So if I can't get a breakthrough in some area of my life, I don't go into discouragement over it. I go into worship, proclamation of the word over it. I go into thanking the Lord in that area, and now I've positioned my heart to receive the light of his glory in that area of my life. It's the same for you. So when I'm praying for family members, let's see if I could take a moment here. When I started praying for my brother to come to the Lord, I, guys, I witnessed to him all the time. You know what his response was? He threatened to beat me up. So it wasn't that my presentation was bad. 
I, I, I followed the Romans road, and I did every other road you can think of, and it didn't matter what road I went down. I even threatened him with hell, and that didn't, that didn't do anything for him either. So it wasn't that he didn't understand it. There was something going on that was keeping him from seeing it. And once the Lord showed me this, I started praying that the Lord would lift the blinders from his eyes, put Christians around him, and cause his presence to reveal his love to him. Do you know that after I shifted to that track, it took him four months and he came to the Lord? Because I was after trying to just present information thinking it's an intellectual problem, God was saying, no, it's a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual problem the enemy's doing. He's trying to create pride in people's hearts so they cannot see Christ for who he is. And this is around the arena of the mind. So how has Christ given us victory to defeat the enemy in this area? Would you guys turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, and this will be our last scripture. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. How has Christ given us the victory? So now we're going to have the first level of spiritual warfare is what has Christ done for us? And so here's what Christ has done. It says this. You were dead in your sins, and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code and its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made public spectacles of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, a lot of interesting Theological things is trying to explain what Christ has actually done. So the first tactic that the enemy tries to bring to you in this area is he wants to take away your joy and he wants to fill you something very specifically. What is it? The enemy has decided that his main weapon to keep you out of joy and not being able to deal with it is guilt. So it tells us this in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. It says, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Now has come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. So the enemy is accusing you and I day and night. Now a lot of people think, well, that's just him in heaven. But look, Satan and demons all follow the same pattern. If he, you're being accused in heaven, what do you think you're, what's going on on this earth? You're being accused so that you'll step into guilt and live in guilt. Um, I used to go do ministry, and I actually knew the Lord was actually anointing me to do ministry by how many of my sins were being reminded to me by the evil one before I prayed for someone. And if I didn't get that, I thought, wow, the Lord must not be here because I get it. Do you guys get it? Three of you, great. All right. Maybe the rest of you need to pray for us. Uh, but it's telling you, so what does the enemy want to do? He wants to remind you that you've fallen, that the law of God is against you, and that basically he's trying to put condemnation and guilt inside your soul so that you live in that. Because if he can get you living in guilt, you're defeated. Isn't that amazing? Even though you're victorious, you're actually defeated if you live in guilt of something that God has forgiven you for. And so he wants you living in that. I didn't do enough. I wasn't pleasing to God. God's standard's too high. He must be against me. And yet the scripture is saying, 
When it comes to the law of God, God has taken that away so that you don't have guilt on you anymore. He's not judging you by that. It's about being in Christ. In fact, the reality of it is this. The, objection, uh, the objective of the enemy is to make you feel so much guilt that by feeling guilt, you're defeated because in a place of guilt, you've stepped away from your righteousness, which is by faith. And when I step away from that, what happens is, is I've, I've lost my confidence. So the Bible is saying, so what does the enemy use? He uses the law, the written code, regulations, how do you walk before God, and he uses it against you to blame you that you're not worthy enough to do something for the Lord. Now the good thing is, is if we understand what the scripture is telling you and I, God just doesn't look at that anymore. We still have the law. The law is important, but please understand something. God is not using the law against you to try to get you to do something. I told you what he's doing. He's giving you joy so you can live this way. He's giving you faith so you can live this way. He's giving you love so you can live this way. He's not just taking rules over you and saying, now do it. He's saying, that's over. I'm living in you, so now live it. Let it, the thing you see in my son, let it be a reality of you. And then when you look at evil, evil doesn't scare you anymore. Because you realize that you've overcome. I was down in Cara Springs uh, back in the 1990s, and um, I was amazed on God's sense of humor. I'm I'm kind of just minding my own business. I'm trying to learn how to pray for the sick. And the Lord just tells me in prayer one day, I want to teach you how deliverance works. And I remember thinking, why would I want to know that? I mean, I'm, I'm doing good as it is. I'm leading people to the Lord. I'm seeing people get healed. Why do I care anything about that? I mean, I don't see a need for that. All of a sudden, for a month and a half straight, everywhere I went, I'm not kidding. I, I'm not trying to be extreme when I say this. People started manifesting demonic spirits right there in front of me. And all the Christians I hung out, none of us knew how to do deliverance, so everyone would just say, why don't you deal with it? And they'd point at me. And so now I'm trying to figure out how to take people through deliverance. <laughs> Boy, when you don't know how to do it, uh, I did so many weird things. But um, <laughs> about uh, three weeks into this, um, I went to my small group, and we were worshiping, and I just thought, oh, I get a break from this. And lo and behold, the guy sitting right next to me manifested a demon. I've known this guy for a year and a half. He never had any, and here he is manifesting a demon, and he's starting to throw up, okay? So the home group leader says, well, Brian, you've been doing this for a month. Why don't you deal with it? So now I'm walking with him, and I'm trying to deal with it, all right? Now, through that process the enemy, through him, started telling me I wasn't going to be able to do it. And he, con you guys ready? That convinced me. You're right. I stink at this. And so I'm trying to pray for him. Nothing's happening. We're trying to repent of stuff. Nothing's happening. And finally, the Lord had to have a conversation with me internally about what victory is actually based in. Now, aren't these on-the-job training things with Jesus really cool? Because I thought it was the technique or how high I screamed at demons that made him respond. And the Lord really started addressing something. He, he said, Brian, it's because I'm here. You have victory because I'm going to do this. 
He said, I didn't ask you to be an expert at uh, deliverance. I was trying to teach you to trust me and just let me do the process. And I thought, well, that's a lot easier than trying to remember how many demons, what their names are, how to deal with all the breaking of everything. And once I turned my heart to, well, what do you want me to do here, Lord? He basically said, well, here's the problem. Have him repent of this thing. And then ask me to come and cleanse him, and it'll drive the demonic spirit away. And I thought, wow, that was so much easier than the last month and a half of reading all these books. And by the way, I love all those books. You need to have that information. But I was just, I was trying to remember too many things. I wasn't remembering that he was the one that did this. Okay? Now, you guys ready? So now you and I are facing evil. And I've told you that it's by how the thoughts that come to you how many of you run to the idea, now I have to remember what those are? The Bible's actually saying, no, the Bible doesn't ask you to do that. It says when it comes and you've been brought out of peace and joy, your response is to turn to the Lord so that he can help you break through. He didn't ask you to do this by yourself. In fact, the problem most of us have with spiritual warfare is we're trying to do it by ourselves. And so we do not live out of the joy of the Lord. We don't live out of the faith that God wants to give us, and we don't have his wisdom, and that's why a lot of spiritual warfare lasts longer than it needs to, because we have to go through a process of finally giving up and quit trusting ourselves so that the Lord can give us wisdom. Okay? So what is God teaching you in spiritual warfare? Turn quickly to me. Turn quickly to me. Find me. Don't try to do this on your own. Don't think maturity is independence, because it's not. Maturity is intentional dependency on God. All right, would you guys turn your attention with me and let's pray. Close your Bibles and let's pray. There's a couple of things the Lord wants to work through this evening. And so the first one is this, and I don't know how you guys are going to respond to this, but let's just invite the Lord. Holy Spirit, Come. Bring your power and your presence right now in the name of Jesus. Now, the way the Lord kind of described it to me during worship was this. Um, if you're dealing with just a lifestyle of guilt, you just feel like that's, the, that's where I live is in that emotion. Would you stand? The Lord actually wants to come and, and literally set you free from that. If you just deal with guilt... It might not even have anything to do with sin. It's just the fact that you feel that all the time. If that's what you're dealing with, please stand. The Lord wants to just come and minister to you, okay? Now, would you mind just putting your hands out like you're receiving something from the Lord? Thank you. Holy Spirit, bring your power and break them free right now. And Lord, I ask that whatever has caused this to become a foundation in their life I ask that your healing power would come over their soul right now and that you would restore shalom to them in the name of Jesus. Now, Lord, guard their heart and mind with the peace of the Lord. And in the name of Jesus, we just break that access point of guilt and we command that door to be closed right now in the name of Jesus. And we ask now, Lord, that a rejuvenation of joy would come into them. Let it come in the name of Jesus. 
bring your strength. Bring your joy to us, Lord. I break words that have been spoken over you. I break situations that have affected you to receive this. I just command that whole stronghold to be torn down in the name of Jesus Christ. And I bless you. Bless them with your presence, Lord. Strengthen them. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, This is almost like guilt, but it's a little bit different, and there's how the Lord described it. If you're dealing, uh, he also showed me that some people just, uh, right now, you might not have this as a lifestyle, but right now you're dealing with oppression. Let me describe what oppression does to you. You might have pressure in life, but oppression is literally a pressure inside your soul that makes you feel desperate. And so oppression is a feeling of being stuck somewhere. It's not like guilt. It's a sense of a weight resting on you, and it's not the peace or the presence of the Lord. If you're dealing with feeling oppressed right now, stand, please. And please just put your hands out and receive from the Lord. Holy Spirit, come. Bring your power right now. Bring your power, Lord. Now, I ask that a wind of your spirit would wash over them. And I break the power of this oppression. I command it to lift off in the name of Jesus. Now, Lord, let a lifting of their hands and in their hearts come right now in the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to declare something over you that's truth, okay? No weapon formed against you shall prosper. None. I break the power of that idea that something can take you out. No weapon formed against you will prosper in the name of the Lord. Now, Lord, just let them have a sense of just shalom inside them, and I bless them in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Okay, these are physical conditions. If you're dealing with acid reflux, acid reflux, would you stand? I'm sorry you're dealing with that. Please put your hand. I'll just do all of them so we can just kind of deal with them all at the same time. Um, He was showing me that someone has like shooting pain in their right hands. It's It's an issue with a nerve and it actually makes you an inflammation or pain in your right hand. If you're dealing with that, would you stand? Sorry you guys are dealing with that. Um, please put your hands out also. He was showing me that someone, their lower, so it's this part of the leg, the lower left part of the leg. There's actually pain on the top part of it, and it makes it difficult for you to walk. If that's you, would you, I'm going to make you stand. Isn't that fine? It's hard to walk, but I'm going to make you stand. I'm sorry you're dealing with that. Please put your hand. So let's pray for their physical conditions. Would you guys join me in believing the Lord will touch them? Holy Spirit, bring your power and your presence over them. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I break the power of weakness and infirmity, and I command it to come off. Now, Holy Spirit, restore them. Bring your restorative power over their um, Lungs, bring your restorative power over their skeletal structure. Bring your power over their legs and restore them in the name of Jesus. 
And I ask that you would just lift them. It said, surely you bore infirmities and you carried them away. Carry this away from us, Lord. And bless them with wholeness. Bless them with health. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. I'm sorry, I, I forgot to give one. If you're dealing, if the Lord showed me someone's dealing with asthma to the point where it's really hard to breathe, and you've been dealing with it for more than 10 years. Who's that? Someone here had been dealing with asthma. It actually makes it really difficult to breathe. It's, a, it's like an asthma attack, and you've been dealing with this more than a decade. Anybody? Sorry. What's that? Oh, okay. Well, let's pray for him. So, Holy Spirit, bring... Now, Lord, would you go to this person right now and hover over them? Breathe into their lungs restorative breath and create blessing. And I thank you, Lord. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. All right, last three and we'll be done. Is there a Sherry here, your mother of three? Sherry here, who is a mother of three. Okay, now last time I did this, I had someone get a hold of me. I was watching it, so I'm going to go ahead and give this. So Sherry, the Lord actually wanted me to tell you uh, specifically that you have a motivational gift of compassion. You feel like you've just kind of been under it, and the Lord is going to meet you with peace and strength. So Lord, wherever Sherry is, just bless her with that. Is there a gentleman here named Rick? Gentleman named Rick. Is that you? Would you, would you stand? Do you mind? Okay, so Rick, I'm trying to watch you. It's kind of hard with it, so I'm going to ask you if you'll wave at me if, I, if the Lord's in this, okay? Uh, God's wanting to minister to you specifically at where you work. Does that make sense to you? Okay, well, let me give you what the Lord gave me. He actually said that at your workplace, he is going to give you strength and favor like you've not experienced before. And I actually saw you go through a season of just kind of being weary and that the Lord was going to meet you. Does that make any sense to you? <laughs> okay, so no. <laughs> well, let me pray for you. So, Lord, just come to Rick. <laughs> I don't know what this is. So just bless him, strengthen him. And what he puts his hands to bless it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Thanks, Rick. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Let's do the last one. Is there a Jennifer here? Jennifer? Is that you? Do you mind standing? Are you afraid to stand? I don't understand if you were. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so Jennifer, um, I felt like the Lord wanted me to tell you something about your house specifically. So could you wave at me if this makes sense to you? He is actually telling me that your house is going to become a house of healing for people, that your, God has called you guys to actually develop a restoration lifestyle so that when people come to where you guys are at, they can experience the healing power of the Lord both emotionally and physically. Does that make any sense to you guys? All right, so is that your husband right next to you? Would you both stand and let's pray that blessing over you, okay? All right, Holy Spirit, come to Jennifer's house and her husband's house right now and just release your healing presence over their house. You've called their house to be a bridge house, a house that is a bridge. And let people that 
need, encouragement, strengthening, and restoration come and receive from you. And we bless what you're doing, Lord. Thank you for the good things you've intended. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you, guys. All right, receive a blessing of the Lord, and then I'll be done. You guys ready? Lord, we just thank you. We bless your name. Now strengthen us. Fill us with your presence, O oh God. Let us recognize your kindness. And we thank you for your goodness. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. amen. amen.